patra a mistrobin hazarta. A day to fear now. Give me the power I face of you. Awake! You are all going to die tonight. I'm drawing a line in the fucking sand here. Do not read the Latin. Read it. Hello, welcome to Don't Read the Latin. I'm Jennifer Lovely, and my wonderful guest for tonight is... Uh, my name is Jordan Cruciola, and as I understand it, I am meant to ident- I am meant to specify uh, she, her is oh, uh, comfortable for my pronouns. Fantastic. I'm also she, her. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan, what have you seen recently? You know, I'm uh, recently I've been watching a lot of South Korean um, action films. Um, yeah, I'm a like big, the drama. Yeah, I the the <laughs> big um, besides horror movies, yeah. the the kinds of movies that I consume the most are by far um, action films. Oh, and yeah. uh, I've been a big I, I've been on a big uh, kick with the actor um, Ma Dong Seok. And he he's probably most recognizable to audience from the states audiences from the states from uh, being the big man in Train to Busan, the big Ooh. burly oh, yeah, yeah. zombie I remember puncher. You shared something. Yeah, yeah, I remember you uh, shared something on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I just wrote a tribute to him and his uh his one punch knockouts um <laughs> that he's quite famous for in films. Um, but you know, thank goodness for like the the uh, recommendation algorithm. It's just like you may also be interested in this other thing he has starred in, which has fortunately led me. Um, I I had seen a couple of his movies already, but it uh, has led me to The Outlaws, uh, which is I'm of the mind that South Korea is consistently putting out the best crime thrillers I think in yeah. the world. Um, and The Outlaws is a tremendous crime thriller starring him as a cop, the gangster, the cop, and the devil is a tremendous crime thriller starring him as the gangster. Um, so I've been mainlining a lot of that recently, but I would really be remiss if I didn't take an end of the year opportunity to shout out, um, probably the, probably the horror movie that has like most pleasantly stuck with me through this year. Like there, it's been an incredible year for movies, but I think the horror movie that I, I really just have had the most fun with is We Summon the Darkness. And I would love to just take a, my, a, the tiny moment here to evangelize about that absolutely blast of a time uh, that people can watch. That name sounds familiar, but I don't. It is. Like um, it stars. Uh, it stars. Uh, Alexandra Daddario is uh, sort of the main. Would probably be the the main name in it, and she, her, and like a, a trio of girls. It opens on her and two other uh, young women who are off to see a rock show. I think it's set in like 1988 or 1987. And you hear while they're driving to this rock show, because they're they're clad in their leather and studs. Yeah. Um, on the radio, there's news of like these latest cult killings that have happened. Like in, in they're, they're somewhere in the Midwest, I believe. And um, so it's the era of the satanic panic. And they're these, yeah. you know, metal chicks. And when they arrive at the show, they meet a trio of, you know, headbanger guys who... And what this movie really excels at is just giving you re- people you really enjoy hanging out with. So you meet like they meet these dirtbag guys at the show and me being predisposed to not liking initially any male character on screen. I'm like, oh, these fucking guys who are just going to take my attention away from from the the women in this movie are pretty immediately like really charming. And Aww. I'm like, I'm on board with these men. And they end up uh, deciding to continue on the party after the concert at uh, Alex Daddario's, uh, her character's dad's house, Uh, at which point a lot of mayhem ensues in ways that I will not spoil. But it is an excellent throwback movie that really feels like it's reveling in the playfulness of like that 80s horror motif without just being annoying Easter egg homage to the 1980s. We we, we see a fun. lot of fucking 1980s appreciation in horror. We're not lacking yeah. for that. 
like if I have to like see another thing that was like inspired by video nasties, I'm going to just scream. Um, This is just a really, I think it takes the framework of the era that it puts it in and adds that kind of like element of party horror to it that, that the era really specialized in without feeling so like slavishly devoted to this sort of like fanboy sensibility of like what 80s movies were and Alex Daddario is tremendous in it and she's a producer (laughs) on it it's her first producerial credit I'm a big believer in her and Maddie Hassan is just tearing it up on screen so we summon the darkness excellent movie I had a girlfriend who recommended it to me early this year, and it just kind of left. My my friend Rias was like, you should check this out. And I didn't. And now I'm regretting that. And it's on Netflix. It's super well, it's super go. accessible. It's right there on Netflix. And yeah, it's just a good, breezy, fun time. Yeah, I, um, I don't know. I'm just like the weight of 2020 is kind mm-hmm. of weighing me down yeah. a lot. Yeah, the and, past month um, is really, I've been... You know, it's been lingering, of course, on the outskirts of absolutely everything, yeah. but the past month has been, um, hit its peak of challenging for me as well. It, oh, well, it, we're all in the same. We're yeah. all in, in, a, in a big shitty boat together. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so a lot of the stuff I've been watching has kind of been a little <clears throat> bit lighter. And then I also just had a full week of having my um, 11-year-old who's just recently getting into horror. Mm-hmm. I did listen so, to her episode. Aww. I did listen to her episode. It was, you know, I have... They were so terrified of anything, like, just even just a little, like, footstep beyond spooky Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. I never thought that I would be showing (laughs) them anything. Um, So it's just, it's been a delight. But um, it's like, so it's it's been a whole bunch of, like, fun kind of frothy light things. Yeah. And then, like, one amazingly dark, I watched um, uh, The Dark and the Wicked. Yeah, I did see that, yeah. it's, It's beautifully done. But it, it gave me a lot of the same feelings that I carried away after seeing The Lodge, mm-hmm. which was one of the very last movies that I got that to one. see. I'm it was they're both too much for me. That's in, fair. In the misery sense. Yeah. But if, both if, of them have stayed with me. If the mood if the mood isn't something that you're going to find a, a positive way to process and enjoy. It's yeah. going to be inescapably oppressive. Like yeah. with both, I think more, even more so acutely with the Lodge than the Dark and the Wicked. Um, yeah. I, I was having, I was having a conversation with a friend actually about the Lodge shortly after it came out, and he was telling me like all these reasons he really hated it, and mm-hmm. everything he was saying that made him really hate it was the things that I liked the most about it. Yeah, and so it was like it was almost like a one sided argument, and it was like no, 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 mm-hmm. I'm not, arg- I'm not arguing. I completely oh, yeah. respect all those reasons you're telling me. I'm just letting yeah. you know. That those to me were my favorite parts, so we're just gonna miss on this one. And I and I find it so funny that like I loved uh, Relic, mm-hmm. um, and that totally worked for me. Yeah, but like the misery of of Lodge and and uh, the Dark and the Wicked was mm-hmm. just like, yeah, they're they're <laughs> very heavy weighted blankets yeah. of movies. Yeah. That is for sure. In in the light end. Um, we watched Anna and the Apocalypse. Could oh, we have taken to watch Anna and the Apocalypse? Uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. Anna and the Apocalypse every Christmas season. Oh, like, it's it's now a Christmas classic. Yeah, yeah. That that and Arthur Christmas are like, and the Charlie Brown Christmas special. That's like <laughs> that means that means it's December. <laughs> well, and and the like. Have you looked into at all like the backstory of how Anna and the Apocalypse came together? No. It's John McPhail. Um, I got to interview him about that. Uh, I did a couple Q and A's for it when it was rolling out, and the the I believe it was the screenwriter of it. Um, had a I lose terminal cancer, and he um he died before the film was able to be to be made and completed, <sighs> and so yeah. it was really. The process of making it, I, speaking with um, him and a couple of the actors, including Ella Hunt, who is just a t- treasure of a person. Um, I it, love everybody. Like, it, I love everybody in that movie. It was really, it sounds like it was such a joyful, appreciative experience on behalf yeah. of everyone to bring this movie to life. Because they were having a really fun time making it. But to be able to sort of see this vision through and yeah. and make it, like, the, the the he had been, I believe it was John had been friends with this writer. Like, the, yeah. the community of people that came together that's make, to make this movie were, were longtime friends of the person, of the man who died. And so it was this real, like, tribute and celebration, tribute to and celebration of his life. <sighs> 
And so, and it was, it sounds like it really imbued the spirit of the production with just like a lot of goodness and a lot of kindness yeah. and generosity, yeah. which for something so sad to have something to be, so buoyant come out of it is so wonderful. Well, and that's the beauty of that film is, is its joyful parts are so balanced by just crushingly sad It moments. is emotional. That movie is emotional. I know. My, <laughs> I, I get teased because... <laughs> Like I will be sobbing, like yeah, <laughs> and 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 Jim will be like have a couple of tears, and Tech will be like, "Well, I almost cried." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my eleven-year-old's a hard ass. You're like, yeah. Well, when when you're in your thirties, you're gonna be a mess watching <laughs> I this. Know, it's Just too you much. wait. Just you wait. Um, we did enjoy. We also watched the happiest season. I um, love the happiest season. I love Jane. A, I like, Jane is Jane is the hero of that movie. And I am Team Mackenzie through and through. Team Harper. Um, I I didn't know I, I I I said this in a separate conversation. I didn't know I could be so angry with Mackenzie Davis um, in any capacity, but I was that I was I supposed love her. to be. Oh my god! But, yes. Oh my god! I wanted to give her a smack and send her therapy. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. And it so it here's her, how this could have been different. Her performance, of course, um, was the exact right emotional um, frequency that it needed to be, as Mackenzie Davis's want to do. But I just thought that movie was an utter goddamn delight. It and was. really, the only the my biggest question is like, hey, Abby. Why didn't you just go hang out with Jane all weekend? Jane was the best, and she was right there. Yeah. Jane yeah. was ready to be your best friend. Yep. I know. Oh. Perfect creature. Mary Holland, <laughs> what a talent. What a performer. What a writer. Oh, she's tremendous. It was wonderful. Yeah. And then last night I watched uh, Spontaneous. I and liked that. I did, too. I liked that. That was really too. well handled. It was. And I... It, it's funny because when I think Tekla accepted like the the big heartbreaking moments in Anna and the Apocalypse, and mm-hmm. I'm worried about how they will handle the ups and downs in Spontaneous. There really because, there are some ups and downs in that yeah. movie. It does a really good job of grounding the absurdity of it in some real pathos. Yeah, yeah. But it was I. It was just. It was a joyful movie. It to is. Watch. I really enjoyed that. It's a really, it's a really sneaky, good teen movie, like coming of age yeah. movie. I, I yeah. would like to. I hope it gets like a good, you know, word of mouth matriculation because it's really well done. It's really well done. So I'm gonna ask, like, were you always a horror fan? Did you come into it later? Yeah. Yeah, I was always a horror fan. My very first movie memory is Hellraiser. Oh, my. When I was, like, between three and five. And wow. So did you have family that also watched horror? So it was just kind of always there? We kind of just watched everything. Like, it yeah. wasn't, like, my, you know, I certainly have friends now who are having kids who, like, they are horror households. And, like, you know, they're mm-hmm. bringing up their, their, their kids with, like, the whole aesthetic and, like, you know, Freddy on the wall kind of thing. We just watched kind of everything. And yeah. there weren't really limits to what I could watch. My parents yeah. were always very fine with that. Yeah. Um, it was very much like, listen, if you have any questions, you can always come to us. The only yeah. thing they, the only thing I couldn't ever watch when it first came out was Pulp Fiction. Um, and it was for the the one scene with the gimp. Um, it was that was that was the one thing. And then I remember my parents, my parents would grocery shopping every Sunday, and it would take them a couple hours. And I remember one day my mom, after a while, was finally like, you can watch Pulp Fiction while we're gone. If you have anything you want to talk about after, just let us know. But like, yeah. go for it because we we bought it on VHS. Um, but I remember it, it. It's an interesting thing about like the idea of you know your daughter watching um, it in the apocalypse now and being like, well, I almost cried. Like you know when I was little and I'm watching Hellraiser, I remember very distinctly this scene of Frank rising from the muck and becoming um, like a skeletal creature, and I remember. Being thinking it was like neat. I remember like being yeah. intrigued by it, but I wasn't afraid of it. Like I wasn't afraid of the Cenobites. It was just like something that was cr- crazy and and woo. Look at that. Yeah. yeah, you don't know necessarily as well what to be emotional about and what yeah. to be afraid of when you're younger. So it started for something like it was just fun, cool stuff to watch because it's exciting kind of movies and. Yeah. Then, like, as I've gotten and you're just, older... And you're just stuck in the fantastical... Yeah. And then as I've gotten older, I'm far more afraid of the things that I saw when I was little than I am now. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, it's been kind of fun to like revisit things that I, because I, I was always, I was always the horror kid. And I think it started out with like reading. Mm -hmm. Um, But then as soon as, cause like I am, I am of an age and I always laugh when I, when I put it that way, but I'm of an age (laughs) where we didn't have a VCR until I was in 10th grade and Mm, we couldn't, we couldn't, I was from a really rural area where we couldn't even get cable uh, on the road that we were on. So like my experience was like the late, late movies on Mm -hmm. like regular television and stuff like that and like anything I could find. Yeah. So like I, I, it was like always just like trying to find anything I could. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why a lot of it came from like reading because it was what I could get at the library. Right. For sure. So on that note, Mm -hmm. what is your formative horror film? I would, and I know that that Scream was definitely a very formative one for me. Like that, that was a real life changing experience. But I, I think I, I, for this, I really wanted to go with, and it's it's one that I don't I don't talk as often about compared to um, how much I love it, which is weird. Um, but it's Event Horizon. I don't think that gets enough talk to me. From anyone scariest movie ever. That is to that is my scariest movie ever, and I've I've had conversations with I think it's three people completely separately who have told me that that was the movie that made them realize they couldn't watch scary movies. Oh. Like multiple people who have nothing to do with each other being like, yeah, that movie spooked me away from horror stuff for good because it was just so messed up. Um, yeah. I absolutely love that movie. I think we must have rented it when I saw it because my mom got it for me on VHS when it came out on tape because she knew I loved it and she gave it to me for Valentine's Day. That's she would always for for holidays. My mom was very my mom was very good about like oh it's Easter like you wake up in the morning you come out of your room and there's like little confetti sprinkled in front of your door and there's like a little egg hunt for you and like on Valentine's Day you come out and there's little like heart confetti in front of your door and here's hearts, like a little box of chocolates hearts. and little presents and so I and got Event Horizon yeah and then I got that year I got Event Horizon and I was so <laughs> excited about it so excited. Um, just a warning to listeners, um, in the beginning when we were talking about what we've seen, probably not going to get as spoiler heavy, but when we discuss the formative and the current movie, we are mm. going to get very spoiler heavy. Oh, yeah. So warning for people. Um, if you, you know, if you haven't seen Event Horizon and I would just maybe go watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, it's, uh, it's intense and it's really oh. good. And it, it just really, really gets me how... Like, it's just got an amazing cast of characters, number oh, one. Oh, yeah. Excellent. So talk to me about Event Horizon, because you have a very different... I I am I am of the people. I, I always wonder how to approach this. <laughs> I don't appreciate Event Horizon as, as much as many do. No. I mean, I respect it. But I just think Weir, Weir makes me so angry that it overpowers oh, yeah. a lot of things. Because he's the worst. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, and I think that's a completely reasonable <laughs> I mean, Sam Neill's great. Yeah. But Weir, he's the fucking worst. He's, he's the worst. And this this movie, it's directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. It, yeah. The cast involved, like, Lawrence Fishburne is the captain. Sam Neill is is Dr. Weir, who's who's awful. Um, but he's kind of like the, the science officer that's come on board to help with this mission. Jolie Richardson is there. Um, Jason Isaacs, the Jason Isaacs is there. Sean Pertwee, like I, yeah. I th- it's just such a delight up and down. And yeah. what, what happens in Event Horizon is we open in the year 2040 when the ship Event Horizon is planning its inaugural voyage with this special technology, this new technology called the Gravity Drive that's going to enable us to traverse the cosmos in ways we've never been able to before. So the Event Horizon goes out on the ship. We get this in a little preamble. And the Event Horizon goes out on its mission and around uh, Neptune, it, it, it initiates the gravity drive, uh, at which point it disappears. Goes off the grid. We don't see the Event Horizon again for seven years, at which point it reappears, I believe, in sort of the area that it would have made the jump from um, in space around Neptune. And so the uh, Lawrence Fishburne ship is sent to recover the event horizon and salvage whatever crew might be left on board and the ship itself and, and presumably the gravity drive technology. They handle that entry onto the ship so amazingly. Incredible. Because there is so much that you're like watching the impact on them mm-hmm. going through things. Mm-hmm. But we, as the spectators, get to see everything they're missing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like where they're like oh there's some blood here and you mm-hmm. look beyond them and it's just like 
It's just up the wall. Yeah, there's there it's, are and whole like, bodies splattered and plastered against the wall. And oh yeah, yeah. It it it. This movie does such a tremendous. I love space horror. First of all, like I mm-hmm. I love the isolation of space as a setting for horror. It's the ultimate sort of haunted house experience. Yeah, like, there's truly yeah. no getting out. And yeah. I think this movie does such a tremendous job with its setups and its payoffs where yeah. like immediately, like even immediately upon like the crew assembling um, in the, in, in Fishburne ship, like you get the sense of like, you know, you get a great sense of the crew dynamic right away, which you have to have in any space movie. Yeah. And yeah. you have Lawrence, Sam Neill, who's just such a tremendous presence. He's explaining yeah. how the gravity drive works, which is basically that, you know, he says it you cap- en- enables the ship to go faster than light flat, which they're like, well, that's impossible. Yeah. He's like, well, actually what it does is it folds space in half. So you basically jump immediately from point A to point B because it po- collapses point A to point B. So he's given this whole thing. You're getting a great feel for the dynamics. But then as soon as the ship is introduced, before they're even on it, the readings of, of, of like biomass life forms in the ship are kind of going haywire. on the rescue ship and Jolie Richardson's like this is weird Captain like I don't know what's going on in there and the fight back and forth between everyone where they're like stop invalidating what I'm telling you fucking happened yeah yeah and it it it, they do they they as soon as you set foot on the event horizon you understand that these people that probably no one's returning like as soon as you enter that long cavern shot Oh, and yeah. it does, and it's just like a zero G environment where you just see, you know, a water bottle bouncing around or a wrench. And what it does with light and shadow in this movie is oh, so convincing amazing. the entire time. And the it it does an incredible job um, following through on its scares with just the the ominousness of the environment. Oh, it but is. then you it's add into that virtuoso violence at points that oh, is yeah. just it sears into your mind. Even by today's standards, you you see the violence in that movie now. And I think the sort of what I would consider iconic, like, mini footage of yeah. that is recovered from the ship's deck, um, where you see sort of where you see what the crew, the events crew has been through before yeah. and, and did I not know, return from. Yeah. And I am, I, I never want to be thankful that footage doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a I good mean, and I, I feel bad that they've, you know, he's always kind of wanted to do a director's cut, but because the footage all kind of disappeared mm-hmm. uh, and was destroyed, he's, because the thing is, is I, I read that there was like, it was like a three hour cut and it was like, it was more violent. Wow. It was, it was more. And I, and, and I'm like. Well, yeah, I mean, cause you look at, you look at the, the fractions evens of seconds of, yeah. of violence that you've seen that. All of those things required setups. All of them required shooting. All of them required hair and makeup. It is the actors who have, like, poles through their bodies, maggots crawling all over them, barbed wire wrapped around them. Like, all of those things had to be filmed to make those little blips of footage that we see. Yeah. So that means there is a lot that was left behind. Yeah. And to me, what is also really striking is is. It, and I've I've never been like a kill a carnage person. Yeah. But its carnage is handled in such a way that it's it's deftly used mm-hmm. in how it's helping scare scare you. Yeah. S- so much. And and for being from like ninety seven. Yeah. Pretty freaking amazing and holds up really really well. Yeah, it holds. Up, I think to me it is. I think because a lot of practical. I think from yeah. like the prosthetics and everything. For me, what because of the caliber of performers you have in this, the excellent yeah. job they do practically creating um, the 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 environment of the event horizon itself, and then you add into that the the incredible gore that they work into it. For me, it is the most effective rendering of hell. I think I've ever seen it. To me, it is the most effective presentation. Because if that is, you know, again, major spoilers here. What we learn about the event horizon is that where it went on the other side of the jump from the, because the gravity drive was it went to hell. And the crew was subjected to the tortures of of hell. The ship came back and it didn't bring the crew with it. But it brought essentially the the spiritual manifestation of hell, which and comes to possess um, Doctor well, Weir's character, and he sort of becomes yeah. the ambassador, and it feels like of a nightmare. Yes, and that door is open, and yeah. and like hell can still come through. Yeah, like n- not just yeah. 
And it too, because because it, it does the it has the excellent conceit of the things the way the ship because it's the ship that's preying upon people. The way yeah. the ship preys upon people is that it manifests their 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 darkest memories or their worst fears. Yeah. And each of the performers, each of these actors, does such an incredible job. Um, embodying that intimate, harrowing experience when they're confronted with the darkness of of the event horizon and what it's brought back with it. And I think that's part of my problem with it because I both I both love and hate uh, a, a, a monstrous um, force that you can't right. do any like like it's it's. I mean that's kind of my issue with like the Grudge films is mm-hmm. like you're you're damned just because you're there mm-hmm. and it's like because they opened the door to that ship they're mm-hmm. just they're just damned mm-hmm. and and it was like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and that's what and it, it just it's i i you know sam neil is such like a stoic like wonderful presence yeah and he does such a good job being a bad guy he does oh, yeah. such like in possessor he's such a piece of shit at times it's i haven't watched it yet yeah. Um, that that's like the Sam Neill you you know not necessarily because he's always a good guy but just the the depths of shitty man that he can be and then you you put him in this and he's he's one of my favorite villains of all time in Event Horizon oh yeah the incredible because like he keeps manifesting visions of his uh, wife Claire who killed herself and in like a vision that he has of her she's caressing his face and she's like running her hands across across his eyes and what happens is he ends up like it cuts out of the vision and it's just him screaming as he's gouged his own eyes out like with his thumbs and so by the time Weir makes his full transition into being the 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 embodiment of the ship the incredible moment of you know Lawrence Fishburne being like we're blowing this piece of shit up we're getting in the ship and we're going home and that incredible moment where Samuel fades into shadow and just says I am home home oh yeah oh my god like it's been so harrowing up to that point and you're like oh my god we're going into we've hit a new gear and then the it's just one of my favorite horror quotes of all time is Lawrence Fishburne like pleading at, at Sam Neill and Sam Neill with his eyes gouged out and his face all lashed and he's holding like a very powerful nail gun threatening people um, saying where we're going um, you don't need we don't need eyes to see and that's when yeah. you get it he shows him eventually another flash of the vision like a, a flash he gets visions of what happened to the original crew on the ship and the resonant power of the idea of where we're going, you don't need eyes to see because like, I will make sure you, you will bear witness to every yeah. stitch of horror that awaits it, you. It is, will burn upon your brain. You it don't is incredible. Need... It's yeah. absolutely awful and incredible. And that this movie follows through, can so yeah. visually follow through on the promise of the innuendo is like, yeah. well, they couldn't possibly make it scarier than the thing I can't see. This movie actually manages to think you manages to make the thing you can see Oh, yeah. As scary as the thing you can't. And that's really hard to pull off. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it is, it is just a striking film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think for whatever reason, when I first watched it, I was like, mm, I, you know, yes, it's definitely very scary. Yeah. And I think I just wasn't emotionally. <laughs> yeah. It's, I'm just not emotionally ready for that right now. I mean, I can't think of many, I can't think of many analogs for it that do it so well that I would like recommend it to people. Like, oh, yeah. I think it very much exists in the tradition of Hellraiser, which was something that did psycho terrorizing, at times psychosexual, extreme violence yeah. and the sort of S&M imagery. It did that very yeah. well. There's there's movies you can watch that don't, that are just sort of outside the bounds of, of recommendable things to general audiences. Like I would recommend, I could say. You well, gotta you, know them. Yeah, yeah, if you, you really liked Event Horizon, I would tell you to watch Baskin. But, like, if you didn't know if you liked this kind of movie yet, yeah. I'd be like, well, you can give Event Horizon a shot. Um, I do I do like, and typically it's, I, I like it more when it's women, but I like the, they accept their dark power. And there is just a very big through line of, like, yes, he accepts his dark power. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really like it's really you know when you when you have like distance from the first time you watch it I, at least um, there's a really it, there's it's thrilling to see Doctor Weir come into yeah. that acceptance of steps yeah. of the evil 
And you read, like, the, the the way he becomes the surrogate for the darkness, like, you completely believe him. When he says, I yeah. am home, you're like, yes, every step of his life has led him to the, this is destiny. Sam, yeah. Dr. Weir coming here is his horrible destiny. Yeah. And the fact that, like, he, he is the origination. He is the creation of yeah. that drive. He designed, yeah, that's why he is on the expedition. He designed yeah. the gravity drive. So this is like, you know, it's it's the sort of like one ring. It's, you know, sort of the Gollum in his ring. Like there's yeah. that sort of covetous pride over over the object and and yeah. he is he becomes and, and he would have laid waste to, and, and did lay waste to anyone yeah. that would keep him from that prize. Yeah, it so, becomes yeah. it does be it is his precious. And he is he is the steward of it and the protector of it. And so therefore the the gravity drive and it's like cosmic magnetic like probably like seductive pull is is so it's powerful to anybody who sort of gets close to it they're sort of drawn in but for him it's like at an elemental like spiritual level is he connected to the gravity drive and i also really really appreciate uh the final scene because there's a lot of scenes that have that like that dark moment at the end Mm -hmm. where you feel like just even exposure Mm -hmm. has like tainted them yeah. like they carry they carry a dark shadow on them that they're never going to be able to wash off yeah and and there's a lot of movies where i don't feel like it earns that sometimes but yeah. this one it totally does i was very fortunate to interview jason isaacs once for an entirely unrelated thing he's i've interviewed him twice he's one of the most charming people i've ever spoken to he's incredible he's a great gives that impression um he uh he i I was asking about an entirely different movie it was at a film festival and at the end of it i waited till we were all done and i i was like it was really challenging for me to not ask you about like one of my favorite movies of all time that you're in he was like oh my god what's my favorite what's your favorite movie that i'm in i was like well event horizon he and he goes oh my god why didn't you say something let's talk about event horizon and he fully sat back down and, like, let me talk to him for 10 minutes about Event Horizon. That's and he awesome. talked about, he was like, he was like, oh, I love that movie. He's like, I, I really had a great time making that movie. He's like, the problem with it, we didn't have to end the fucking thing. Like, he um, was he, he was mm-hmm. talking about how, like, you know, it, you know the, the, like, not the best critical reception and this, that, the other. But he was like, we had this great movie. We'd done this, this, this. Like, he was such a believer in the movie. He's like, no, no, we didn't yeah. know how to end the fucking thing. And it, yeah. he was just hearing him be so so charismatic and candid about that movie. I was, I was like, well, this is what I've and always wanted. finding out how much more, like, you really kind of believe that they were like, I don't know what to do with this because yeah. there's, like, so much. Apparently, there was, like... A full like three hours of footage of like what a punishing experience that would yeah. be. <laughs> yeah. All right, so leaving behind Event Horizon, yes. Let's talk about your modern horror that reminds you why you love the genre. Yes, I mean, I, I, my, my impulsive again. I, I just have to mention the uh, the the impulsive choice that I, I always, I like my answer to this. Like, I feel really compelled to say Suspiria, the new Suspiria, which I mm-hmm. absolutely love love am obsessed with i've talked about it a lot but so i wanted to go with something else and for me just one of the absolute best uh new horror movies invigorating gorgeous uh is mike flanagan's doctor sleep i so have you have you seen the director's yeah cut because i haven't yeah how do you feel about i mean i I, I don't I, 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 it is there. The, the most distinct thing about it is that the Jacob Tremblay scene is longer and worse. So, all right. Yeah. <laughs> that's the really, that's one of the biggest takeaways about it for sure. Um, I, I treasure, um, Mike Flanagan so much. Yeah. I am such a, such a believer in his, like beautifully realized populist brand of horror. Um, I I know that like the the sort of A twenty four esque vision of horror is very um, it's very in vogue and yeah. it's beautiful and it's art and there is sort of you know there's even despite the surge of the genre over the past um, several years into something more present in the mainstream consciousness I think there's this idea that there's still this delineation between like classes of kinds of horror movie mm-hmm. and I think Mike Flanagan really brings that almost like Spielberg level yeah. broad appeal to these emotionally dense beautifully shot and art directed 
stories that are accessible, like, yeah. based on the works of, like, the most prolific, like, populist horror creator of all time in Stephen King, I yeah. think what he, I think what he does at a consistent level of output, like, the, yeah. he's, he's, he's all hits, no skips, Mike Flanagan, and over a course of, like, almost 10 films now, 10 large projects, let's include Bly Manor and Hill House in that, and having along the way done so many of the jobs to make those movies real, cinematography, yeah. editing, writing, directing, the complete repertoire of talent and tools that he brings to the table to create these works is just, it's unbelievable. And I, I really do feel like Dr. Sleep is the apex of that work in, in the film sense. I feel, I feel really lucky that a friend of mine told me about Absentia. Uh-huh. Uh, this is in, this was pre-Oculus um, coming out. Mm -hmm. And so I watched it and I was just like, this is amazing. Yeah. And so basically I have like eagerly awaited every single thing that yeah. he's ever done. And it's just, it's all, and, and plus it just, you like you're watching his movies and it feels like you get to visit your family again. Yeah. <laughs> because he, he loves the same people. And and it always, and, it, it always, it always excites me when a repertory wants to come back, keep coming back and working with a creator because it means yeah. that it's an environment they want to keep coming back to. And feel safe in, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so... <laughs> I love Dr. Sleep so mm -hmm. much. This is going to be a slightly it. different experience. <laughs> <laughs> so I I remember as a kid reading The Shining and mm -hmm. having it literally scare the shit out of me. Right. Um, I hit I hit the scene. I grew up in a on the reservation. I grew up in a trailer house. Okay. And and so it was very rural around me. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading the scene where uh, he's in the topiary garden mm -hmm. and he can't possibly keep his eye on all the animals and like there's just so much about about the shining that just it's just terrifying mm -hmm. and i am one of those people that doesn't uh love the shining okay the uh, movie yeah because okay. it's well i have strong feelings about kubrick Mm -hmm. um, but visually, it's gorgeous. Yeah. So for me, I feel like, um, and I'm talking too much because I want to hear what you have to say. No, no. I love Dr. Sleep because to me, it gives me everything that is beautiful and gorgeous about The Shining. Mm. And he makes it better. Mm -hmm. And... <laughs> Because I mean, for me, for me, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy The Shining. I very much respect The Shining. I prefer Dr. Sleep. It's mm -hmm. just, it's more of a movie that aligns with what I like. So, yeah. I feel <laughs> like Wendy Torrance got... Uh, a better a better take in mm. her ten minutes of screen time in Doctor Sleep than than she did in the ex in the entirety of the Shining. Mm, okay, okay. <laughs> because um, I just I anyway it it doesn't matter. I want you. To, I want to hear you talk about <laughs> Doctor Sleep. Well, I think I, I think um, I'm I'm so glad that having accumulated um, such a reliable. Uh, being a sort of reliable figurehead and and coming off such a hit like um, Hill House that Mike Flanagan was really given a lot of leeway in The Shining, in, in Doctor Sleep, to make this two and a half hour long... It's big. Yeah, storybook horror film. And him and Mike Feminari, his cinematographer, are just such a wonderful artistic compliment to one another. And, and I was able to talk to him around the release of this movie and I asked him about, like... His movies just being so beautiful. It, it, the yeah. works he does being so beautiful. Like, Haunting of Hill House is a gorgeous look. It's a gorgeous experience. Obviously, Bly Manor is as well. Gerald's Game has a very sort of, like, gauzy, um, you know, watercolored memory sort of um, energy about it at times. And I asked him about, like, putting that very, like, storybook picture you know, storybook kind of picture sensibility in, in his horror films, like giving us something like the scene with Jacob Tremblay, the baseball boy, and, and watching a, a child be cut apart while a bunch of adults like inhale his essence. And yet making something like that look so almost romantic in how it is lit and how it is shot. And he talked about wanting there to be this contrast between the beauty of the image and the horror of of the actions taking place and having there be that cognitive dissonance to kind of, you know, make each feeling more intense. Like it makes it makes each aspect of it, the beauty and the terror, um, they become like sort of a mirror for one another, reflecting each other back and you're sort of caught in the middle with just sort of this brilliant glow. And I the it it's so visually impressive. And all the performances in this movie are so Ewan McGregor is doing a great job, but truly, 
Rebecca Ferguson is on another level. Like, speaking of, as far as, like, Samuel as, as Dr. Weir, um, Rose the Hat is one of the great villains I've ever seen on a screen. She's amazing. From the moment, like, I, she, I describe her as she's a... she's wooing Violet to her. You understand completely why anybody would say yes. Yes. Immediately upon the introduction of her character. And the, and she is, becomes, as you see more and more of her, she becomes as scary as she is engaging. And considering how the peaks of both of those things that she reaches in this movie, that is an incredible pendulum on which to operate and i i describe her as a pansexual murder witch and just like the amount of like the amount of like (laughs) twitter thirst step on my neck um force that she is bringing to this performance alongside just such a gentle um inviting warmth to bring people close to her. Like yeah. the, the love that she does have for her, her, her sort of essentially family in the knot yeah. does feel so real and it feels so true. But the anything outside of that, there's a sort of sociopathic detachment from the value of any life that doesn't protect her or benefit her and her, her community. Yeah. And it is just, I, it is a, it is when people say tour de force, they mean what what Rebecca Ferguson is doing is Rose the Hat. And I it is something where like it's somebody it's a performance I wish I could ask the actor about just for hours and hours and hours. And I remember talking to Mike about it uh, when I got to do the press day for the movie and uh, bringing her up and he was so blown away by by what she because like he's a hell of a director. And I think just by seeing the, just by seeing the way his things play out, I feel like he's a real actor's director. But yeah. I think at a certain point, like when you realize you have magic on your hands, you're just like, let it ride. Like uh, we're working together, but what she is intuitively bringing to this part is so complete. I, I just will behold and train my camera in the right place. Yeah, and I, they're they're just even even though it was like two and a half hours long, it mm-hmm. it felt. Nobody felt wasted, and you just no, fell in at love all. with everyone. Every relationship felt mm-hmm. like just honest, and 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 you loved everybody. You loved you, you did. Know, you loved Rose's family. You loved the the group that Danny that Danny settles with, mm-hmm. and then the time at the hospital. One of my favorite scenes is um, when uh, Abra has been kidnapped mm-hmm. and is being is Danny. Yeah, is, yeah, is is acting as mm-hmm. you and McGregor, and it's just fantastic because mm-hmm. you can totally hear the inflections yeah. in her voice that aren't that aren't her. And I and and there's the there's the there's the Rose the there's the Rebecca Ferguson of it all, and Kylie Curran is giving such a stunningly delicate performance. Yeah. as Abra in this movie because. It would be easy for her to just be a kid mm-hmm. and be just be good. Like she yeah. brings like a kind of a very like palatable. Like she brings a very delightful precociousness, not like an annoying precociousness yeah. to the character. Yeah. Like Aubrey's obviously very like advanced, but at the same time, there's so much darkness in Aubrey, and she does like that she's powerful. She does like that when she realizes the sort of like amount of shine she has in her. She's the, the the like joy, the epic joy that she feels when she when by she that. smacks her down. Yeah, and she, it's like I got her. Yeah, she's she is pleased by that. And what yeah. you I think what you see in those what you see in Rose and Abra are such a great foil. It's almost like it's almost like watching like Spider Man and like Dark Spider Man. Like it, yeah. it's because. What you see when when Rose sees like, you know, like, I, I, you know, when she sees like a, a younger version of herself in Abra, that's actually true. Like, yeah. it's sort of like if if Abra decided to take a certain path in her life, she would absolutely become Rose, Rose. this charismatic yeah. leader of a dark cult of people. Whereas and if she decides it's only it is up to Abra completely what side of the light or dark she will walk on in this life because her power is such that nobody else can stop Abra but Abra. And you see so much of like what created that person and how realistic and loving the relationship, even yeah. though it's like um 
you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of just an aside that you see mm-hmm. is the relationship with their parents, but mm-hmm. you get that it's like strong and loving and that's mm-hmm. what keeps her on a light side. Mm-hmm. And then also just my heart breaks, mm-hmm. my heart broke when she didn't want to share what had happened with her father mm-hmm. and because she didn't want them to look at her with anything less than love in their eyes. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, killed me (laughs) she i think like the reason this movie was just is just so affirming for me as a work of horror is because like you know first of all in in what you have like i I just love seeing the further demonstrations of of talent and curiosity of mike flanagan and how his work has continued to get more diverse and how his casts have continued to develop and evolve and he really i think he's a i think he's an empathetic filmmaker who can actually walk the talk and I think he he seeks to. I think he seeks to be better and improve. And I think he seeks to have his understanding expanded as opposed to um, operating with his assumptions in the world because he's a director and he's in charge and he also does all the other jobs when he needs to do those. Um, but I think what, what really affirms for me um, just so much joyfulness and the possibility of the genre with a movie like this is, you know, spectacle horror isn't, spectacle horror doesn't have to be this deep to draw eyeballs and be fun. Um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the, the It movies were a big success. I don't really, I don't really care for the new It movies. Um, the first one or the second one, I just, I, I didn't, I liked the, the camp and whimsy of the, the, uh, series, uh, the mini series yeah. from the nineties. Yeah. And it's not, one isn't better than the other objectively. I just know that's, that fits more with my style. And mm-hmm. I didn't find, I didn't find the new movies to be, um, quite so really quite so entertaining for me but Mm -hmm. what i and then you know we have something like a quiet place which does really well and then you're gonna have a quiet place two coming which is like gonna be a little more expensive and there's gonna be more cast like so it becomes the thing of like well it's a sequel and it was successful so we're gonna give it more resources and it's gonna be more expensive i don't think a single dollar that mike flanagan was given for this movie was was misspent or wasted i think everything was invested so well in either the cast, the the breadth of story and the locations, the incredible visual sequences, obviously, particularly when Rose is like astrally projecting herself over the course of The visual of, of, of them Earth. going into each other's mind or, or searching for each other is it's, so amazing. It's amazing. And it, it makes me believe it makes me believe in big budget horror. Yeah. It makes me believe in not just putting money behind something for the sake of it because you're a major studio and like instead yeah. of like the Blumhouse model where you're going to like cap that budget at like four or five million and say, all right, That's get like it good. done. This is what you yeah. got. And which I'm a, I'm a big believer in working within creative restraints within budget and not just like spending your way out of a problem. Yeah. Mike Flanagan makes you make Mike Flanagan validates the investment of resources into something big that doesn't just become more for the sake of more, but everything has a purpose and he does not, he does not overcompensate with visual flash in lieu of emotional impact. Like, and I, and he makes exactly the right choices. And I mean, there are things that they could have done technologically to make like the actors identical. I mean, mm-hmm. there's things they could have done to make it identical to uh, the features of The Shining. And yeah. instead, you get people who have the exact feel of mm-hmm. those characters. And that's so much better. Yeah. Um, because you really, I mean, everything felt like you felt like you dropped into The Shining. Yeah. And, and in the very best way and in the most terrifying ways. The idea of, of visiting the room that they lived in with the age upon it mm-hmm. is, is, you know, you're not just dropping into the set. Like it's yeah. weathered. It's, you know, and, and yeah. It's yeah. Just, the, the recreation of the, of, of the overlook was remarkable. Yeah. And again, it, in a thing that, a thing that I don't like is homage for the sake of homage. Mm-hmm. And this movie incorporates the shining in such a way that it feels evocative and power like powerful as yeah. opposed to like hey guys guess what like it's gonna, going be to the fo- shining. it's gonna be fucking sweet when we recreate the overlook hotel man like it doesn't feel like that at all yeah. and it is the circle of danny's life yeah yeah and and appreciating that rather than using it yeah, yeah. and it i really again it there's 
it's when you for him to have been for him to do uh, for him to succeed so repeatedly in such sort of different ways like you, you see what Flanagan has done from the most stripped down possible circumstances in something like Absentia to like the sprawling hours and hours of something like Hill House and Bly Manor and that he to this point and I, I, I think in something like Doctor Sleep where it is based on an IP it is based on an extremely popular product it is essentially the sequel to one of the most crucial horror films of all time yeah I think there's a lot of there's a there I, I would have to imagine for for many creatives in that position you would have to really tamp down you're just like and I want this and I want this and I want this like tack on every bell and whistle you can because you're getting yeah. to go into the universe of the shining and it all feels essential. Like yeah. you watch a Flanagan film and from from the emotional core of it to the art direction around it, everything feels essential and wound together in one another. And I think that's a really, really hard thing, a really, really hard line to walk and yeah. tone to maintain project after project after project when you're when you're escalating gradually with more and more resources at your disposal to make something. And I'm really impressed with his I mean this is kind of leaving leaving Dr. Sleep a little bit Mm -hmm. but his ability to take you know movies that you know to come in as a sequel Mm -hmm. um like I personally love his um his Ouija sequel the Origin of Evil yeah Origin of Evil is a great time fantastic and I I love that he can come in and and like even especially with Gerald's game because I'd have never imagined that Mm -hmm. that could even be a film like he just he has a way of of visualizing and sharing that with others that just is so impressive and you just feel like you're peering you know like there's a little there's a little film reel playing in Mm -hmm. his head that he just deigns to let us see sometimes Mm -hmm. and it just always seems to land uh, amazingly well and it I I think I value I think I have valued so much about his work is giving actors giving actors I really like so much room like what Elizabeth Reeser the material that she has been given to to just chew on in in his work with with Ouija Origin of Evil with Haunting of Hill House like Elizabeth Reeser Elizabeth Reeser deserves that level of material to work with Katie Siegel his wife Kate Siegel, his wife, is so talented. Like, she's, I believe, the co-writer of Hush. And yeah. Oh, Hush. Hush was amazing. Yeah, Hush is amazing. <laughs> and and she, in, you know, from, from working with him so clearly involved at a multi-tiered creative capacity to bring such a cool, like, contained horror movie life was fantastic. And then watching her work as Theo in Hill House, where it's like, I haven't seen Kate Siegel get material that rises to the level of what her husband is giving her, but yeah. he understands this resource that he has with Carla Guccino, who is a legend in this industry at this yeah. point, who's one of my all-time favorite actresses. The material that she has been consistently given to work with by Mike Flanagan is, as an a- adult, grown, established actress, I think rises to the level of her talent at a yeah. high-profile way, with these really high-profile projects, not necessarily indie stuff, that she absolutely deserves to have. And then watching Doctor Sleep, I, for so long, have, I, I have not understood for years why Rebecca Ferguson is not, like, a ubiquitous A-list star. Like, she's oh, even yeah. all the, she's all the things we say. She's thin. She's gorgeous. She's a good act. Like, she has all the boxes ticked that yeah. should make, like, that should put her in the class of, like, having offers just pouring out of her door. But maybe she's just very selective. I don't know how the curation process is working for her. But watching Rose the Hat was like, where the hell is everybody else who should be offering Rebecca Ferguson roles? I mean, few roles are going to be as good. But quality material and the amount of screen time to just chew on as she has gotten in this movie. And Kylie Coran, I don't know how we weren't talking about that as one of the great performances of the year when that came out. Like, the work that that child did in that role was so remarkable and empathetic and delicate. It is so nuanced. And that he, from up and down the age spectrum, you can feel like actors have that much material to work on yeah. and, and that implies to like the, the children obviously in in hill house as well and jacob trombley and 
um, bef- and um, Jacob Trombley in this in his like five minutes is like as memorable as he is in the entire movie that is The Room. And I believe Jacob Trombley is also in Before I Wake. Like the mm-hmm. amount of material his actors get to work with and then the yeah. beautiful work he does around them to create these worlds. I just, he's he's such a gift to just yeah. enjoying the experience of a movie. Yeah. <sighs> Well, thank you for giving me an excuse to watch both of these. Yeah, again. absolutely. Of course. Um, one of the things that I'm trying to do is I I, I found a, a couple episodes ago. I was like, well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So one of the things I like to ask is I, I like to ask, like, what was your first horror movie experience? But you mentioned um, Hellraiser. Hellraiser, and yeah. And I'm so glad that you brought that up and talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but also... Um, what does a horror movie have to have for you to enjoy it? I am a pretty, I I am a very generous watcher of things. For me, any movie really just has to, I have to feel like it did the thing that it wanted to do. I really judge sort of each movie against itself. Yeah. Like, I try not to be too comparative because it's just like, hey, you know what? If that came in and that got the job done and... You know, it wasn't trying to be The Shining, but it was itself very well. The rest, I love the Transformers movies. Like, I, those movies are doing exactly, for the most part, there's like two that really, really aren't. Um, those movies are basically doing exactly what they're meant to do. And I appreciated them on those merits. For me, what I, what I don't, what I can't have in horror, it, that what, what having in horror that's really going to make it difficult for me is... It's not even necessarily a matter of violence, but kind of like if there is an apparently misogynistic point of view, particularly in new horror movies, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to be extremely uncharitable. If yeah. there is just like, because obviously like a little bit of exploitation is going to be part of the genre yeah. kind of across the board a little bit. Not, not, not every movie is an exploitation movie, but a little bit of exploitation. Like it's, you know, that we're here for violence. We're here for fear. We're here for playing to our like our most intimate concerns and and that is going to get personal and that's going to get sticky and that's going to maybe be problematic i'm i watch a lot of rape revenge films i I really enjoy the experience of them i i -hmm. like them a lot that's a very personal relationship to that's a very personal kind of movie to have relationships to as moviegoers um and i understand that's very different for a lot of people but you can make not every not every rape revenge movie has a glaringly or offensively misogynistic point of view yeah, it's one of the things that's been killing me lately, and I've I've begged for it on Twitter, and I know it'll it'll it it's it'll come to naught, but I I beg for us to be able to <laughs> search through streaming services for directed or written by a woman, directed mm-hmm. or written by a, a person of color, mm-hmm. you know, directed or written by queer people, because it's like you hit a point where. You're like, I've, I've gotten the masculine take on this. Yeah. Yeah, I really, like, I really have. And yeah, really I have. think the, the number, the best example of something, the best example of something I can point to um, that I hate, uh, which it doesn't really happen often, but uh, the uh, movie that came out, I think it was, it was last year or the year before, Incident in a Ghost Land. Um, that movie made me really angry. Uh I think I don't believe in censorship, and I think that movie should be erased. I think that movie should be gone. It's an it should ugly. Be deleted from the record. It is an and ugly I, film. The, and I, it's hard when you hear people. They're like, "Oh, it's fantastic," and you're it's like, "It's not. It's not. It's trash. It's yeah. it's not worth. It's not worth the the digital film that it's printed on." Yeah. And the reason the reason especially that that movie makes me so so angry is that it's made by the same filmmaker as Martyrs, Pascal Martyrs. Lugier, yeah. and Martyrs is this you know, object of fascination and study from the 2000s and the new French yeah. extremity period that has, you know, people have written doctoral theses about martyrs. Yeah. Like, it is it is such a sort of tabula rasa in its way that it's yeah. meant to be like, what did he mean? What was he saying? What was it all about? And I think what... I've never I've never loved martyrs. That's not really my yeah. thing. Like I get yeah. that it's doing something, and I understand that people are like, "Oh, martyrs," yeah. and they really. But sometimes go in for people want to give worth and value to something that's extreme because it's rather than it earning. Well, and I it's think, worth and value. Yeah, and I, I think in absence of answers, you can obviously, and the whole point is, is to sort of like project your own onto it. And, yeah. and that that's fascinating for people. But I think what Incident in a Ghostland proved is just that uh, the deep misogyny of Pascal Lugier. 
um, yeah. to make to make a movie. Uh, I think twelve years after ten or twelve years after you made Martyrs, that's just a remixing of two women being brutalized, mm-hmm. just like your huge yeah. hit from two thousand and seven was. Yeah. Except this time we're gonna add um, rape, uh, mm-hmm. and we're gonna add transphobia, and we're mm-hmm. gonna add a grotesque um, man monster, mm-hmm. um, and add um, such I gotta ab- say abject that- humiliation to yeah. the, the female. What what actually incident in a ghost land proved was that to me anybody who projected any greater meaning onto martyrs was sadly incorrect, and that what we have here is just a, a movie about a guy who likes putting women in, in the most harrowing and disgusting yep. um, compromising positions possible. I want to thank you for two things. Well, number one, I want to thank you for, I feel less alone after <laughs> hearing you because, because I was very, I was very upset after watching Incident in Ghostland. Um, but also I want to yeah, thank that you. Movie's, that movie's embarrassing. That movie shouldn't yeah. be real. Um, I want to thank you because mm-hmm. when you recommend a film, and it doesn't seem to matter genre. I value your opinion, and I will give Thank movies uh, a watch that I might not, or I might have given a pass to, because <laughs> I so value uh, you holding something up to say that you should give this your eyes, thank and you, you should I give this your that. time. And I thank you for that. Thank you. I I just I will I I it, it's rare for me to it's rare for me to like speak ill of a movie because most movies are just out here doing their best and it's really hard yeah. to get them made. But if, if I, if I, if I do kind of sound off about one, boy, you really know, you really know that it is, um, it is marched into territory. I absolutely cannot accept. Yeah. I, you know, it's like, I have friends who, who have podcasts and they'll do their top, you know, 10 and, and the, the top 10 that they hated. And I'm like, I don't want to give, I don't. I don't have time. Like yeah. I would rather share the joy in the world. But uh, and and my there's very so last. There's so many good movies we need to watch. So and much so stuff many movies we need to that love. deserve our time. I don't need to tell you what not to watch unless it's offensive and horrible, like Incident in a Ghostland. <laughs> but I want my cherry on the top of thanking you. Mm-hmm. This is a simple favor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a, a simple favor a is so art. beautiful. A work. It of makes art. me so happy. Oh God, the joy! <laughs> I, it, I'm so. It was so exciting to find. That over the course of spending hours talking about a simple favor, I just grew to love it more and find more things to revel in and rejoice about it. And and truly the great gift of doing a simple podcast beyond just the fact of Paul Feig talking to us and then connecting us to Renee and to Jessica and (laughs) Blake Lively um, uh, wanting to come on um, beyond just the fact of those things was that to hear so, and you know, this gets to like us, what we were talking about with Mike Flanagan too, to hear from each person at every turn, how much they enjoyed working with Paul Feig because he is such a true collaborator. Yeah. And absolutely, even as the high and mighty, all powerful director, yeah. he shelves his own ego about something in service of the story being as best it can. And his ins- his insistence that sort of, everybody bring the best of themselves to the table in such a true and safe way because people are going to do their best work when they can be their their best selves. And as Blake pointed out, like, and he has to wrap by dinner because he has to have his like evening cocktail and his dinner. Like he, you know, enforces humane working hours. Um, I forget who said it, but they were like, well, you've noticed that all of, yeah, they were like, you've noticed that all of his movies take place in during the day because Paul likes to be done in time for dinner. Um, he has to have his cocktail. He has to have his, he has to have like his, his martini at night. Um, it was so wonderful to hear just woman after woman after woman speak about the enlivening power of being embraced as a collaborator. And like Renee said in our podcast, I don't ever want to work with anybody with Paul ever again. Oh. And Jessica would love to write a sequel and Paul and Blake would love to be in a sequel. She's like, I hope we get to go back to it. I hope we get to do it again. Yeah. And Talking to, it was so fascinating talking to Blake, and she was so candid and so forthcoming with very little prompting, and her willingness to to talk about how it was such an exceptional experience being so brought into the fold by Paul to create the character of Emily, which is incredible, um, and that that was such an unusual thing in her career that someone, a woman who's been doing this half of her life, half of her life, Blake lately has been doing this job, and for her to say that I finally, like, I'd never been asked to bring that much of myself to something was like, Wow. 
Yeah. After all these years, half your life, and this was the first time you felt really, really yeah. embraced by the, the person who hired you to, to come in with your ideas and shape the work you were doing. Like, surely she's had gradations of that, like, throughout her career, yeah. but the, ti- the yeah. time she's felt most completely completely brought in in that way and, and i wanted but so much of that yeah there's a difference between peering through a crack mm-hmm. and having that door just blown wide open yeah and to and to acknowledge too in conversation like you know i'm used to you know i'm used to being like the one in the movie where like i'm the pretty girl and whoever wins me wins me like for her to be so open uh, and honest about that was really just wonderfully generous of her in conversation and to know that paul um this you know seemingly by each reaffirmed account this really generous of spirit and and delightful man and, and great great filmmaker yeah. was like no it's it's of course it's better when when we all get to be our best selves like to have that be self-evident is so heartening yeah and so to know that like i delight in the movie for it's like it's popcorn deliciousness, but also it's like wonderful queer subversiveness for audiences who want to read it that yes. way. And then to know that it was such a, it was such a fulfilling experience for at least the people, you know, all yeah. of the people that we talk to, it, it to know that it, you can holistically enjoy something like that is just so, it's such a nice bonus. Knowing yeah. that there could be a horror story on every set that'll just make you feel bad about it. It's just really nice to have that one really reaffirmed as such a jewel. And similar with Jennifer's body, the process of hearing about how that came together, despite the marketing that came afterwards, it seemed like the making of it was a largely uninterrupted uh, pleasant process, which is something as an obsessive about the movie. It makes me love it even more. I I obsess well. I obsess effectively. You do in the very best way. I really do, yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Such a such a joy. All right. Um thank you everyone for joining me and I'll talk to you again in two weeks. Thanks, everybody. Don't read the Latin can be found at don'treadthelatin.com. On Twitter at DRTL Podcast. On Tumblr or at facebook.com slash don't read the Latin. Please rate us on iTunes and tell your friends and themes about us. We're dying to meet them. <laughs>